to begin a series of sessions beginning tonight entitled Living by the Indwelling Life of Christ. And to me uh, this subject is very dear to my heart when I uh, came to understand that, that God's purpose is to, is to live inside of his people. It literally blew my mind. And I didn't learn that until I was a Christian for a number of years. So we're going to start tonight. And just to give you an idea of what we're going to be doing, this will be a series of nine weeks. Each session will build on the others. And our purpose in doing so, we're going to combine uh, spoken ministry with practical exercises. So there's going to be very practical tools given to you. It's not just going to be, uh, you know, give a message and put it in your notebook and go home and that was great. Our goal is to give you an impartation. It's not just to educate, it's to equip. And uh, education has to do with being informed. Equipping has to do with being formed. We're more interested in being formed than we are just the informed. So I'm going to plunge in tonight and we're going to use scripture. So if you have a Bible, we'll use it. And I do want to say this to you in the outset. I'm going to attempt to reframe the Christian experience in the light of one of the biblical narratives. A biblical narrative is a theme that you can find from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And I want to reframe the Christian life through the lens of one of those biblical narratives. And that narrative is one word. Life. Life. I'll introduce by saying this. When Jesus Christ was on the earth and he spoke and he taught, there were three subjects that he was consumed with. If you look at the Gospels carefully, there were three things he talked about more than anything else. One of them was the kingdom of God. Another one was his father. But the third one was life. Four letters. L-I-F-E, life. He spoke about life profusely. And this is often overlooked. And yet it is one of the central themes of Scripture. And it's one of the central things that's in God's own heart. So having said that, what I would like us to do is begin at the beginning. And turn in your Bible to Genesis 1. If you have a Bible. If not, just listen along. Genesis 1. And what I'm going to do here, folks, is I'm going to read the first verse. And I'm not going to read the whole verse. I'm just going to read the first four words. In the beginning, God. Or to freeze the frame there. The Bible opens up with and introduces us to what Watchmany called the highest life in the universe. God. 
is the highest life. You cannot get beyond God. He is the highest life form in the cosmos, in the creation. You can call him the highest life, as Watchman Nee did. I call it the superlative life. And I thank God, and I hope you'll resonate with me, I thank God that human beings are not the highest life in the universe. (laughs) I appreciate the amen there. (laughs) So what I'd like to do, as we have Genesis 1 open before us, I want to point out that Genesis 1 is a record of life. It is the revealing and the expression of the first and highest life, which is God. God's life, but then it goes on to created life. And I want to review the life forms in this text because this is our foundation and we're going to begin here and we're going to move further. I very rarely write when I'm speaking. This is one of the first times I'm going to do it. One of the reasons is my handwriting is like chicken scratch. I could hardly read it myself. In fact, I can't read it myself, to be honest. So I'm going to try real hard. But I want you to look at Genesis 1 and we are going to find actually six different life forms but there's a seven it doesn't appear until Genesis 3 but um, we're looking at the different life forms that we find in the opening chapters of Genesis I'm doing my best here to write legibly and we're going to start out with the highest we were introduced to it in the first verse God is the highest life he is the superlative life and the way that Genesis opens is it begins with the very lowest life form that God created. And it's on the third day. And what does God create on the third day? Somebody talk to me here. What's that? Plant life. Yeah, absolutely. Vegetable life. So we're going to start here. This is plant life, or you can call it vegetable life. That's not too bad. I worked all week at trying to write that legibly. <laughs> Uh, what was the next kind of life that he created? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Be specific. Fish. You're right. Fish life. Okay, Brian, what's the next highest life that he created? The, the one higher than fish? If you speak higher than those floating things in the sky, that would be bird life. All right, after bird life, what do we have? There you go. Land animal. We'll just put animal. And then we have human life. All right. Now this is this is all in Genesis one. Interestingly enough, if you look at a, a biological chart of life forms, uh, it maps pretty closely in that order. Now there's a there's a second kind of life form that's between God's life, just a little lower than God's life, but a little higher than man's life, human life. Uh, but it's not mentioned until Genesis 3 now for a thousand dollars all right Brian you give him a thousand dollars here we go so we have seven life forms in the Bible the superlative one being God and then all the way down to plant life and it gets higher and higher there's more consciousness uh, there's more awareness there's more intelligence etc now if you look at Genesis 1 carefully what you discover is this that God had a purpose before the fall. Before human beings fell into sin, which occurs in Genesis 3, God had a purpose. And if you read uh, verse 26 to 28, you discover that His purpose was that human beings, this lower life form than God's life, exist in the earth to do two things mainly. Bear His image and rule. 
rule the creation, to bear His image, to express His own character, His nature, His glorious person. God wanted to make Himself visible. He wanted to have an expression on the earth. And thus He created human beings to be that expression. And He also wanted human beings to rule with His authority. This was His purpose before the fall. Before Genesis 3, where we read about the fall. And what I want you to know is this, that brothers and sisters, God has never abandoned His purpose. What He wanted before the fall has never left His heart. He has always wanted, still wants, and forever will want an expression of Himself in the earth. Image bearers to bear His glorious character, nature, and image. And so we have to ask the question, what was the means by which human beings would bear the holy image of God? And we find that in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, we have something very interesting presented to us. You read Genesis 1 and you find out that God is finished with creation. He's done with it. It actually used that wording. And he rests on the seventh day. Remember that? But then the curtain opens and in Genesis 2, we get details about what's going on after God finished. It's almost a replay of Genesis 1, but it's in different language. And it even uses a different order. And what we find in, that, in Genesis 2 is that God plants a garden. And seemingly, this is after creation, He plants a garden in the land of Eden. And in the garden, He puts two very special things right in the center of it. And they, of course, are two trees. The tree of life, thank you. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can find this in Genesis chapter 2. Two very special trees. We know they're special for two reasons. One, they're put in the center of the garden. The scripture makes that very clear. They're in the middle of the garden. Okay, That signifies the preeminent place. The second reason we know that these two trees are very special is because he names them. He doesn't name all the other trees in the garden, nor the other trees that he created in Genesis 1. But he names these two. Now, I want to consider the tree of life for a few minutes. This tree is so important. Uh, it unlocks the entire Bible, <laughs> in my judgment. The tree of life contains the highest life in the universe. The tree of life contains God's divine, uncreated, eternal, everlasting life. The tree of life is in effect God's life in a receivable way. In Genesis 1, God creates human beings in his likeness and in his image outwardly okay does anybody uh, have a glove in the room by any chance anybody have a glove I heard and I do okay all right while you're I'll just talk while you're looking for the glove I want to give you an example here Genesis 1 God creates Adam and Eve in his image and likeness I want you to think of this glove as being in the image and likeness of Amy's hand but there's one striking feature about it, it's empty. So God wants to express himself. 
He wants to express His character and His nature. He wants human beings to bear His image in the earth and rule with His authority. Now remember, there was something moving around the garden that had a different life form in it than vegetable life and human life. It had animal life in it, but it also had another kind of life in it too. And what was that thing that was moving around in the garden? The serpent. The serpent also had angelic life. Because the serpent is a fallen angel. And God said he wanted human beings to rule the earth, including the creeping things. That meant he wanted humans to be able to trample on the serpent. Okay? The problem is, angelic life is higher than human life. Even in the Psalms it says, Man, you were created a little lower than the angels. So here you have Adam. He is a glove. He is in the image of God. God's purpose in Genesis 2 was to put the man and the woman in front of a tree. And that tree was the tree of life. And the invitation was eat of the tree. And if you eat of the tree, talking about the tree of life now, guess what happens? The hand goes in the glove. And if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. So I'm not going to put this on. Uh, but if you can imagine Amy's hand, God wanted to dispense his life into Adam and Eve. He wanted to put his life, the highest life, he wanted to dispense it into human beings. So that, why? So that human beings now could bear the image, not just outwardly, not like a glove, but that the hand would go into the glove. And the character, the nature, the glory of God himself would be expressed through human beings. And that Adam and Eve would subdue the earth with his authority and even trample on the creeping things which has angelic life. Why? Because human beings would now have the life of God inside them. Now that is pretty powerful stuff to me. God wanted to put his own uncreated, eternal, everlasting, divine life into the man and the woman. Well, we know what happened. Tragedy struck. They listened to the serpent and they ate from the wrong tree. God said, I only have one command for you. There's one tree in the garden you're not to eat from. Well, they rebelled. And they, as far as we know, never took a bite out of the tree of life. Instead, they took a bite out of the tree of a knowledge of good and evil. Now listen to the name of that tree. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A lot of times... When we think about this tree, we just think about it as being some kind of a wicked, evil thing. But no, no, it's not. It's the tree of knowledge. The knowledge of good. As well as the knowledge of evil. Let me tell you what happened when human beings bit off that tree. When they took a bite from the fruit. First of all, their eyes were opened. And they became, listen now, self-sufficient beings in the earth. They became self-sufficient. They now had the power and the ability to decide for themselves what was good and evil and then to try to, in their own power and strength, in their own human power and strength, to try to do good and avoid evil. 
They became beings independent from God, deciding their own way, deciding in themselves what is good and bad, and trying to use their own energy, their own human energy, to do good and to avoid evil. Well, the thing about the tree of life is this. The tree of life was goodness itself. It wasn't the knowledge of good. God is good. Remember, Jesus was asked, the young rich ruler said something like, good master, and he said, don't call me good. It's only one good. God is good. Good is a life form. God's life is goodness. And if Adam and Eve had eaten from the tree of life, they would be living a life totally in union with God's life, drawing from His energy, and God would be living through them. They would express goodness itself because goodness is a life. Well, now they took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and now they were making independent decisions, deciding for themselves what is good and evil, trying on their own to be good and avoid evil. They were self-sufficient beings independent from God. And brothers and sisters, what happened to them physiologically was horrific too. God said, the day you eat of it, you will die. And guess what? Since then, from the time you're born into this earth, even right now, your physical body is decaying. Were you aware of this? We're all, <laughs> every day we're dying closer to the grave. Thank you, Adam. Um, that's, that's what happened. His body started to decay that moment. His body, listen, his body, his physical body, which was without sin, which was pure, which would have lived on, his physical body became flesh. This is what the fall did. It turned the body into flesh. It turned his soul, man was a living soul, it turned his soul into the self. And so the scripture talks about living by the self. Deny yourself. Lose your self-life. The soul became the self. And he became a person who was in an alliance. He formed an alliance with the enemy. So the enemy now had dominance over him. And that's the story of world history, folks. It's one bite out of the wrong tree, and now we have on the earth today people living by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And let me just say this to you, and you may not have heard of this before. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one who pointed it out. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the essence of what religion is. See, religion teaches you how to decide good from evil. And religion teaches you to do your very best to avoid the evil and do the good. The problem is... You are asking human life, which is now fallen and corrupt and polluted, to live that kind of life. That's like asking a bird to be a human. God is two life forms higher than humans. Now humans are fallen. And for you and I and our human energy to try to be like God... It's pretty much like a bird trying to be a human. We're a different life form. We're the wrong life form. This is the history of the world. Human beings trying to be good. And look at all of what religion has done. Or what's been done in the name of religion. It's eating from the wrong tree. You can think of the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as life on two planes. 
Eating from the tree of life is life on the highest plane. Living by God's life. God living his life out through humanity. And that's what he wanted from the beginning. You can think of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as life on the lower plane. And now because human beings are fallen and corrupt, this is life that reflects the one who Adam formed an alliance with. Selfishness. When you think about human beings who have not been regenerated and even regenerated human beings. Our nature as human beings is selfish. Is that not true? The basic human being. I mean, self-preservation. The greatest impulse in this room, if you follow your human nature, is self-preservation. This is why when Jesus said, to save your life, you've got to lose it. That was some radical thing because that goes against the grain of every human being. But there's something else here that I want you to see. Think about this. If God the Father wants to put His life in a human being, He gives them His life. He imparts His life into them. What does that make that human being? This is $2,000 here if you get this right. Yes? Just think of the natural order of things. If one person puts their DNA into a new being, it makes that being their children. Okay, who's that? All right, you're honest. You're, right there, you are living by a life not your own. Okay? Putting down, denying the glory, denying the. Look at me. Who said children? Yes. You impart your life into uh, another. Birth is the impartation of life. And so God wanted kids. He wanted children. He wanted sons and daughters to express His life in the earth. Now, I will say this to you, that to me, the worst curse on humankind was this, that they were forced, we were forced, to live by polluted, corrupt human life. And God, you know what He did? He closed the garden off. He sealed it. And the tree of life, that tree that was beating and pulsating with divine life, the life of God, which was God's purpose from the beginning, and He's never let go of it, has been out of reach for human beings for thousands and thousands of years. And when you read the Old Testament and all the history there, what you're reading is a record of people eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No one eating from the tree of life. Some striving to, but no one doing it. Now, this brings us, brothers and sisters, to the Gospel of John, which is the new Genesis. So I would like you to turn to the Gospel of John. Now we're going to get into some amazing, amazing things here. This has all been background, and I would like you to turn to John's Gospel. If you ever read, and we've done this before in conferences past, but if you ever read the Gospel of John very carefully, at least the first two chapters, it is striking to note that the Gospel of John, especially the first two chapters, repeats Genesis 1 and 2. Right down the line. It is a repetition, it is a replay of Genesis. It is, in effect, the new Genesis. And guess who is called the new Adam? For five dollars, who is the new Adam? Jesus Christ is the new Adam, and I'm quoting Paul. Okay, here's what we're going to do. 
We're going to look at John. We're going to go through some passages here. I want you to follow me. We're going to take a little tour. And I'm going to show you, as best I can, one of the most revolutionary things that I've learned about the Lord, about the Scripture, about the Christian life. The theme of John is Jesus Christ as life. That's the theme. John uses the word life and the derivatives of it some 58 times throughout the Gospel. It's spilling over with this concept of life. And if we begin in verse 1, let's just look at it. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Notice how it begins, just like Genesis 1 does, in the beginning. And who's in the beginning? God, once again. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was, say it, life. And the life was the light of men. Now, brothers and sisters, uh, John opens with life. And he's speaking here of Jesus. Jesus is the Logos. He is the Word. In Jesus Christ dwells the highest life of the universe. It's very interesting to note that uh, the New Testament is written in Greek. The Greek New Testament uses three different words that are translated life. One of them is bios. It's where we get the word biology. And it means your manner of life or your lifestyle. The other word is suke. This is where we get all the terms psychology, psychosis, psychedelic. And it has to do with your human life, your natural human life, your natural human energy, which, by the way, is corrupt now with the fall. But the third word that's used all over John is zoe. Z-O-E, zoe. And it means, guess what? The highest life. It means God's life. And so here, and verse 4, in him was zoe. In Him was the life of God. Brothers and sisters, listen carefully. When Jesus Christ entered the planet, something historic happened. It wasn't just the Son of God came to die for our sins, and He did that. Praise the Lord. Thank God He came to die for our sins. But listen, when Jesus penetrated this planet, when your Lord entered into this realm, the tree of life was being offered again to human beings. He is the container for God's life. The life of God was in him. Just like the life of God was in that tree, brother. But that's not all. Look at verse 11. He came to his own, and his own, those who were his own, did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in His name. Verse 13. Who were born. Circle the word born. Who were born. Not of blood. Nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. But of God. If you take away uh, the clause. Not of blood. Nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. Who were born of God. Who are born of God. Children of God. Born of God. And then look at the next verse. Verse 14. The Word became flesh. Jesus, the Logos, the Son of God, took on flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I'd like you to circle the words, the only begotten. Okay, so we see a few things here. The life of God is in him. The Zoe life, the highest life is in Christ. He comes to dwell among human beings. And John says, to as many as received him, he gave them the authority to become what God always wanted. The children of the Almighty. How? They had to be born. They had to be born. What is birth? It's the impartation of life. That's what birth is. Born of God, and then he uses the phrase to refer to Jesus as the only begotten. Well, brothers and sisters, listen. God had an only begotten Son. But God's purpose was that Jesus would not remain the only begotten Son. He wanted to have many sons and daughters. He wanted the only begotten not to stay the only begotten. And so, here it is. It's the language of Genesis. As many as receive Him become children of God. Are born a second time. Peter, Peter the, the apostle, writes this in chapter 1 verse 23. We were born a second time. Born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed. The imagery there is there's seed in the fruit of the tree. You take the fruit and the seed goes into you. Guess what? When you trusted in Christ, when you received Christ, you didn't just get your sins forgiven. That's not what happened to you, only. Yes, you got your sins forgiven. Praise the Lord, right? Forgiveness, amen. We're going to heaven, right? No, no. Something else happened. God's life was dispensed inside of you. And you became, not positionally... But literally, a child of God, the highest life, the Zoe life of God, penetrated your inner parts. And you became true kin of God, kin to God, children of God. Hang on, folks. You haven't heard anything. Let me just say this to you. Uh, 2 Peter 1 verse 4. Peter again talks about this, and he says it this way. He says, we are partakers of the divine nature. Whoa. That means we receive the highest life. Now let's look at chapter 6, verse 47. I just want to show you a few snapshots of how the Lord discloses this purpose of God to put His life into human beings. Chapter 6, verse 47. And Jesus says, here... Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am, verse 48, I am the bread of life. Now, here Christ is presenting himself to us as food. I am the bread of life. And he who receives me, who takes me into them, receives eternal life. And you can think of the scripture that says, you all know it, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And what do we open up with in John 1.1? The Word was with God from the beginning. Brothers and sisters, when God speaks, it is a revelation of His Son. 
It is Christ. He is the word that we have been given the privilege to live by. And he is the bread of life. And he is eternal life. Eternal life is in him, but we'll see in a minute that he actually is eternal life. Okay, let's look at chapter 10, verse 10. Now, I know you've heard this passage before if you've been a Christian at any length of time. Chapter 10, verse 10 of John. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now the word there is zoe. It's the highest life. It's God's life. It's divine life. It's uncreated life. And here Jesus says, I want them, those who follow me, to have life, zoe, God's life, and have it in abundance. So in other words, he's basically saying, I want those who receive me and follow me to have the highest life form in the universe dwelling in them in fullness, in total abundance. I've heard this passage talked about many times and some preachers uh, apply it to abundant life means, man, you're going to have a great life. You know, you're going to have a nice big house. You're going to have nice cars. If you name it and claim it, you got it. Blab it and grab it, you have it. You know? So this is the abundant life. He's talking about a certain kind of life. Zoe life. You will have God's life in abundance. That's why he came. See, he didn't just come to forgive us of our sins. Yes, he did. Praise the Lord. He came also, he came to give us his life. The indwelling life. The Zoe life. And here's another observation I'll make to you. Most of the references to Zoe life, which is also called eternal life, most of the references in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where Jesus and the Apostles talk about the life of God, brothers and sisters, it's not talking about the afterlife. It's talking about having that life now in this world. That's pretty awesome. Okay, now, let's move on. Chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, Now we know the life, the Zoe life, is in him. John chapter 1. And the life was in him. And in him was the life. The life was the light of men. But look at this. Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Now here, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is basically saying, I am the life of God. The life of God is just not in me. I am the embodiment of that life. I am the life. Jesus is the life. And this word life, Zoe life, John speaks of it also in his letter. And I just want to read you two passages. Listen to this. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Think of Him as being the tree of life. The life of God was in the tree. The life of God is in Christ. But then, in verse 20 of 1 John, and I believe that's 1 John 5.11. I'm sorry, 5.11, if you were taking notes. But in verse 20, listen to this. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. Listen to this. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. 
that's 1 John 5 verse 20. He, Jesus Christ, is the true God and He is eternal life. I am the resurrection. I am the life. He says in chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and guess what? I am the life. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is eternal life. Eternal life is not just referring to longevity. It's not just referring to the fact that this kind of life goes on forever. And that if you receive eternal life, you'll never die, you'll live forever. Yes, it means that. But listen, eternal life is referring to a kind of life. It's referring to God's own life. And Christ is that life. He is the Zoe life of God. He is the highest life. The person of Christ is the life. That takes a reframing of your mind to see that because we think about eternal life as some kind of package, you know. Okay, here you go. You got eternal life. Here, here it is. That means you're going to live forever. It say. Well, actually, it's like a ticket, right? It's a ticket. Here you go. You got the, you said the prayer. Here's a ticket. No, eternal life is a person. And to receive Him, guess what? You have the life, but that life is a living being. It's Christ. He is eternal life. He is the Zoe life of God. But that's not all. Watch. There's more to it. Chapter 15, verse 1. We are going somewhere, by the way. I'm just kind of paving the way for the point. This is not the point. Chapter 15, verse 1. I am the vine tree, or I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him... He bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, brothers and sisters, I believe that what Jesus is saying here, why did he pick a vine? Well, I think there are many reasons, but one reason is, I believe that the tree of life was, in fact, a vine tree. And one of the reasons is that in Revelation, the end of Revelation, when you read it carefully, the scripture says that the tree of life and the tree of life appears again in the New Jerusalem the tree of life can be found on both sides of a flowing river there's a huge flowing river that comes out of the throne of God and on both sides is the singular tree of life and when you look at the dimensions of this huge city which is 1500 miles square approximately and the, the largeness of this river this either has to be an enormous tree. I mean, it just covers the sky. Or, it's a vine tree. And it extends out. Either way, he's a vine. And I love that he says, apart from me you can do nothing. Echoes of what God said to Adam, don't eat from this other tree. That other tree represents independence from me. The tree of life represents Union with me, my life in you, total dependence upon me. He's the vine tree, brothers and sisters. He is the embodiment of the tree of life. And now we're going to look at two passages. We're going to go backwards. Chapter 12, verse 24. And then we're also going to hold your finger in chapter 12, verse 24. And then with your other finger, <laughs> go to chapter 20 of John. Verse 17. Okay, let's read chapter 12 first, okay? These two go together. John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, 
it bears much fruit. Or in other translations, except the grain, the seed falls into the ground and dies. It must go into the ground. It must die. When it dies, then it has to die and has to go into the ground. It will spring up and produce many seeds, many grains. But it has to go into the ground and die. Got that? Alright, now go over to John 20. John's theme is Christ is life. John 20 verse 17. This is the resurrected Lord. And do you remember where he is spotted by Mary Magdalene? Where was he? He was resurrected and Mary sees him. He's in a garden. He's in a garden. That's no accident, folks. The tree of life was in the garden. Jesus, the resurrected Lord, is in a garden. She actually thinks he's the gardener. And look at what it says in verse 17. She notices it's him. She recognizes it's him. She, she starts to grab him. Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren. Now circle those two words. My brethren. There's volumes there. And say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father. Circle that. Your Father and my God and your God. Now look over at um, verse 21. Jesus is in a room. It's sealed. It's a sealed room, folks. The doors are closed. And he comes in to this sealed room. And look what it says in verse 21. He appears to them. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So he appears to them in this sealed room. And he doesn't open the door. He doesn't knock on the door. He just appears. He penetrates the door. Okay? He says, As the Father sent me, I send you. Verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Spirit. Receive the Spirit. Now, let me explain what's going on here because it, it is incredible. All throughout the Gospel, Jesus talks about my Father. He speaks of my Father. He speaks of the Father. But in his resurrection, he says, My Father and your father and he calls them brethren and then he penetrates a sealed room without climbing through a window opening the door he moves into that room and he just appears and then he takes a deep breath he takes a breath from another place deep in the center of God where a wind is blowing and he breathes what is in him into these men his disciples and his point, what the Father was to me, now I am to you. As the Father sent me, I send you. What he was to me, I am to you. The passage moves from the Father to the Son, from the Son to the disciples. Brothers and sisters, what happened? The grain of wheat had gone into the ground and died. But three days later, it came up from the soil many grains and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 45 that the resurrected Jesus became a life giving spirit and just as he penetrated through the walls of that sealed room when he took that deep breath and breathed into them 
he climbed into their rib cages and the Zoe life of God which is Christ came into them and they became children of God and his own brethren and the only begotten son who was the only begotten son from eternity became in Paul's words in Romans 8:29 the firstborn among many brethren Praise the Lord. And he became their father. Why? Because his life was dispensed into them. The tree of life was a seed-bearing tree. When you read Genesis 1, all the trees bore seed after their kind. Well, guess what? The tree of life was a tree. And it bore seed after its kind. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the tree of life appearing again in his resurrected state he is a life giving spirit he is a seed bearing tree and he dispensed his life into those disciples and they became the children of God praise the Lord that's awesome but that's not really the point how did Jesus live his life How was the spiritual experience that Christ had, how was that accomplished? The Son can do nothing by Himself. Remember what He said in John 15, Apart from Me, you can do nothing. But He said that about His own Self. The Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing. By Myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and My judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me was speaking. Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me, who is doing the work. The words are not my own. I can of my own self do nothing. I do not speak of myself. It is the Father who is living in me that's doing the work, that's speaking the words. Brothers and sisters, Jesus lived by an indwelling Lord. The Father dwelt Him. And He lived His life by the Father. In other words, the Father was, as it were, a tree of life to Jesus. God's life was dispensed into Him, and that's how He went around living His life. He did not go around living His life trying to discern between good and evil, and trying to do the good and avoid the evil. No, He lived by God's own life. Wow. Amen. 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 Now, having said all that, John six fifty-seven. To me, this is the most exciting part. As the living Father has sent me, and I live... Now, if you have a translation that says because, that is not the proper word there. The King James has it right. What does the King James say, you King Jamers? What's that word? By. By. It should be by. In the Greek, by, it's translated from the Greek word... Dia, D-I-A, and in most places it means by, and in this place it certainly means by. I live 
by the Father. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, hello, I'm the tree of life. He that eats me shall what? Live by me. Brothers and sisters, this is the most exciting news of all. You as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, if you received the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, you have taken a bite out of the tree of life and God's life, whether you realize it or not, has been dispensed inside of you. You have the highest life form in the universe dwelling inside of you. You have Zoe life. Uncreated, divine, holy, eternal life dwelling in you. But here is the most exciting part of all. Just as Jesus lived by the life of the Father, you and I have been given the privilege not only to have the life in us, but to live by that life. To live by that life. To live by the life of God. Why? So that His image can be expressed in the earth. So He can have His ultimate purpose to be seen and made visible. His character, His nature. And here's the problem today. For many years, I'm speaking of myself here, I was never taught that number one, that God's own life dwelt in me. And I had the richest thing in this universe. The Zoe life of God in me. That's number one. I was not taught that. Later I learned that. And that was a mind blower. That was a shocker. God's life dwells in me. But that was it. Brothers and sisters, I was taught, not with these words, but I was taught, that after taking that bite out of the tree of life at my salvation, I was taught to direct my attention to the other tree. And to live by the knowledge of good and evil. And let me give you an example of this. Back in 1897, there was a congregational minister by the name of Charles M. Sheldon. He wrote a book called In His Steps. Beautiful book. It sold 15 million copies. And if you've never heard the phrase, and I'm sure you have, what would Jesus do? Came from that book. And in the 1980s, bracelets began to be sold in Christian bookstores. WWJD, buddy. What would Jesus do? I am in a situation. I've got to look at my bracelet. I've got to remember. What would Jesus do in this situation? <laughs> what is the good thing to do? What is my knowledge of good? Because Jesus would do the good thing. How do I avoid evil? And if I just study the Bible enough and memorize enough verses, I'll have the knowledge of good, the knowledge of evil, I'll know to say yes to good, no to evil, and if I really try hard enough, and I'm really serious, and I grit my teeth, and I'm really, really serious about doing good and not evil, then I'll actually pull it off. That is the knowledge of of good and evil. That's the wrong tree, brothers and sisters. That's the wrong tree. 
And I lived from that tree for a long time. Now, I never bought a bracelet. <laughs> but I did the what would Jesus do. Do they still sell those bracelets? Yes. They do. Yeah. I'm not going to ask if anybody owns one. <laughs> it's okay if you do. Don't be defensive. It's all right. It's all right. We're all good here. Here's Jesus living in the first century. And uh, made out of parchment. He's a carpenter. He's not really a carpenter, by the way. That's another story. The word carpenter in the Greek is, is tekton. It actually means he's a builder. He, he worked with stones. He built with stones, which is very interesting because the house of God is built with stones. There weren't a lot of trees there in that area. Yeah, there were not a lot of trees, yeah. So it really means he was an artisan. He was a craftsman. So he's a craftsman. He, he has this little parchment paper in it. It's WWFD. What would the father do? And he's in a situation. And he, he's... What would my father do if he were here right now? But brothers and sisters, what does it say? I do what I see my father present tense doing. Brothers and sisters, Christianity is not what would Jesus do. It's what is Christ doing now in me? What is he doing now? Where is he leading? What is his life moving toward? I can live by an indwelling Lord. I can live by Christ. Just as Christ lived by the Father, you and I can live by his life now. That's the Christian life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ our life. It is not I, Paul said, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives through me. You know what? What would Jesus do really is? It's a human trying to use human strength and energy to act two life forms higher. That, brothers and sisters, is like a turkey wearing on its foot a little bracelet that says WWHD. What would a human do? And that's about what it looks like when you try to live the Christian life as a human being in your own power and strength. It's like a turkey trying to live two life forms higher. It doesn't look very good. It doesn't work. You can't live the Christian life. He said it. Without me you can do nothing. You can try as hard as you want. You can memorize as much as you want. You can fast. You can even pray. But if you eat from the wrong tree, it's not going to happen. I am the tree of life. I am the Zoe life. I have given my life to you. And here's the beauty. As the Father has sent me, I live by the Father. The Son can do nothing of Himself. Only what the Father does. I live by the Father. So you, he that eateth me. Not one time, not just the bite out of a tree, brothers and sisters. I am the bread of life. I am the vine. Continue to eat. Continue to drink. And you and I can live by his life. Praise the Lord. That is the most awesome, wonderful news. We can live by God's life. The highest life in the universe. So that he can be seen. He can be made visible. He can get his purpose, why he created. He wanted to have kids, not just to have kids, but so the kids would reflect his nature. If that's not the most amazing news, 
that you have, have ever heard that I don't know what can trump it. I, I, don't, I just don't know what it is. I can't help you. I can't help you. I can't give you any more than that. To live by his own life. And, and this is not just a theory. He has given us the privilege and honor to live by his life. To go back to the garden and to eat from the tree of life. Not that other tree. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's my point. As the living Father has sent me and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, the real tree of life, the real grain of wheat, shall live by me. Brothers and sisters, the life of heaven dwells inside you. Listen, the same life, not a different kind of life, the same life that God lives by resides in you. The same life, the exact same life, divine, uncreated, eternal, everlasting life, God's life. Christ lives in you. And we can live by Him. So what we're going to be doing over the next nine weeks is we're going to learn a little bit together on how to live by the indwelling life of Christ. How do we live by that life? And that's what we're going to talk about over the next nine weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about how to be conscious of that life. All life forms have a consciousness. Human life has a consciousness. You are conscious right now because of your human life. But see, divine life, God's life, has a consciousness too. And we are going to learn in the weeks to come how to be conscious of that life. We're going to learn how to get familiar with that life. We're going to learn how to touch that life. How to get in contact with the spiritual instincts that come from that life. How to yield to that life. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like to hear the rest of this series on this topic, all nine messages, they have now been put into an online discipleship course called Living by the Indwelling Life of Christ. Just go to thedeeperjourney.com, that's thedeeperjourney.com, and you can read about the discipleship course. All nine messages in this series are included. It also includes a workbook and a special bonus resource. Registration for the course opens two times a year. If it's not open when you go to the site, just make sure you join the waiting list and you'll be notified as soon as registration reopens. Thanks and God bless. you there.